The tabloid headline screams Sicko holds his wife hostage for 30 years, then kills her, cops charge. When Alvin Ridley's wife was discovered dead in her home, residents of the small town of Ringgold, Georgia, assumed the recluse, hoarder, and odd figure naturally murdered her. Idealistic young defense attorney McCracken Poston Jr., still stinging from a failed congressional run, had already encountered the eccentric Ridley, dubbed Zenith Man, for his work repairing televisions and took the case. His client was belligerent, incomprehensible, secretive, a puzzle for his lawyer. The entire case seemed doomed for failure until the diligent lawyer looked past the community's biases as well as his own to reveal the astonishing truth. Generation X Paranormal. Well, hey everybody, welcome back. Hello, everyone. Do you like true crime? I know I do. we do. Yeah, I like I true crime. It. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, we are Generation X Paranormal. Yes, we are. But we also do true crime. And we try to bring you things that are that are very compelling. Um, and we have a true crime case for you today. Um, it is a, it's a very interesting story uh, of a man named Alvin Ridley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to get too far into what, what it's about because I want you guys to read the book. Yeah. Which is, Which right, is here. right here. But uh, it has to do with this man, and he was tried for, for the murder, potentially, of his wife. Yes, his wife, Virginia. Yeah. And we are not going to tell you how it ends, because you need to read the book. Yes, you do. Some of you may already know the story, but if you do, still buy the book. It's really good. But you may not actually know the story. That's right. And you may not have actually read the story or heard the story from the defending attorney. Mm-hmm which is just who we happen to have on today. Yes, we do. And his name is McCracken Poston Jr. And a little bit about him. He, he's a practicing criminal defense attorney and a former state house of, or former, former state legislator in the Georgia House of Representatives. Well, that was really tough to get out. Yeah, a little tongue twister there. But he, he's a graduate of the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and received his law degree from the University of Georgia, which he's a notable Bulldog fan. So for you sports fans out there, I think he's a pretty big Bulldog fan, which is, of course, University of Georgia. Um, and he gained national attention for his handling of several notable cases that were featured in CNN Presents, Dateline NBC, which I know that I'm a big fan of that, uh, A&E's American Justice, and Forensic Files, which just happened to be how I first heard about this story anyway. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what do you think? Should you just bring him on? Talk to him about his book, Zenith Man, Death, Love, and Redemption in a Georgia Courtroom. All right. Let's talk to, let's talk to McCracken. Let's talk to McCracken. Hey, McCracken. How you doing? How are you guys? We're doing, doing great. Well, Thanks yeah. for having me. Hey, of course. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. It's an honor to have you. Um, you know, I'll have to admit, it, we'll get into it much more, but uh, gosh, this book, Zenith Man... Um, and I'll, I'll hold it up so everybody kind of gets a good view of it. But this was amazing. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, was, yes. I, was, I was hoping to hear what you thought of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I don't know. It, it just a great flow. I thought the story behind it, it's, yes. and I know it's all incredibly true, but just the, the way everything kind of flowed, we had a blast reading it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love anything trial based. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like that. I mean, I don't know. I always like to get into like all the 
you know, little nitty gritty things. <laughs> Thank you. All the trial testimony in the book, which comprises over half the book, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. was um, from transcript. Okay. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. I, I had to cut, uh, you know, my problem was I had a contract with Citadel for 90,000 words, and I just went flying into <laughs> writing the book. <laughs> and at the, when the dust cleared, I had 177,000 words. Wow. And so I had to hack away story, which is the worst thing oh, because I've been compiling it over the years and trying to figure out, okay, yes, that kind of is foreshadowing of that. And, and, and I had to cut some of, uh, you know, my baby away and yeah. it was very, it was very tough. Oh, I bet. But I can also see now how it would have been a disaster had I convinced them to to do one big old thick book. Yeah. It would have been a great anthem, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get kind of into the, the nuts and bolts of everything. Well, uh, my name's McCracken Poston. I'm from Ringgold, Georgia, which is in northwest Georgia, just below Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've been from this area my whole life. Um, I grew up and born and raised in Catoosa County, Georgia, where Ringgold, Georgia is the county seat. Ringgold is most famous for the place where Dolly Parton and Carl Dean got married in 1966. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. three weeks later, a local couple named Alvin Ridley and Virginia Hickey got their marriage license and mm. got married in the same town. That's awesome. And by the time George and Tammy got their marriage license in 1969, I believe, Virginia Ridley was nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, kind of, kind of already starting into it. I mean, who is Alvin Ridley, and what was the? I guess what was the perception in Ringgold? Um, I guess what they had him before the trial. Alvin was odd. My sister was in school with him. Uh, my oldest sister. I was actually born their senior year, so I didn't have any memories of of young Alvin. Uh, but in the early seventies, uh, I was, uh, you know, still living at home. I was probably thirteen, maybe fourteen, and uh, our TV tuner knob came off. It was a crescent pin with a plastic knob over it. You know, <laughs> you, you rip those three channels back and forth yeah. enough, you're going to wear out that crescent uh, plastic. Yes. So uh, I was doing fine with a pair of channel lock pliers uh, on the th- on the set, uh, but uh, my father. Uh, did trade with Alvin Ridley, who had the Zenith franchise, and we bought our TV from him. And Alvin came to fix our TV. The only reason I remember this is because I was watching live wrestling out of Chattanooga, Hmm. and Alvin shows up, this weird guy, and gives me like a half-hour lecture on how to turn a TV channel changer (laughs) knob. and then. But the thing that sparked my memory was he told me that he had met Andre the Giant. Oh, wow. And that he, that Andre the Giant ate two dozen eggs every morning. And it was just, he told me something that I passed along to my friends. Hey, I met this weird guy that 
met Andre the Giant. Right. <laughs> well, rocket forward decades, and I've got this very strange non-compliant client. And one of the first non-threatening conversations we had, he mentions he met Andre the Giant, and it all started coming back to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was you. I, I actually told your story in school <laughs> for years uh, that, you know, I knew somebody that met Andre the Giant. That's God. really cool how it came back around. Yeah, and Andre the Giant. Gosh, I remember so many tales of him. Like, I remember when I see a picture of him holding a beer can, it looks like a little, oops, sorry, it looks like a little tiny. Uh, yeah, one of those little tiny Coke yeah, cans yeah, like a little, you can get. Like a little eight ounce beer can, but no, it's a full 12 ounce beer can. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Alvin um, was un unusual uh, in turn, and which was explained much later. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, uh, he was also very paranoid about, what was going on in the community. His right. business was inexplicably just shuttered in 1984. And he began to post missives on the inside of the glass of everybody who had wronged him and um, how, you know, he, he was going to sue. He actually ran for sheriff of Catoosa County in 1984. Mm -hmm. I was already interested in politics and I was working in other people's campaigns. And I remember him at an all-candidate rally on the courthouse steps. And I, I, everybody was thinking, oh, gosh, what a joke. You know, crazy Alvin Ridley is running for sheriff. And he showed up to speak. And he had already filed multiple lawsuits about some uh, minor car accident that his father had in the company truck, uh, of an accident that the father drove away from. Uh, after the it was worked. But his father died a couple of years later of pancreatic cancer. And in Alvin's mind, it was all connected. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was litigation. And it was, I wouldn't call it frivolous litigation because Alvin really believed it. Right. And so he was very earnest about pushing that. that. But another part of his plan was he'll just run for sheriff. And uh, I remember him, him temporarily silencing the hecklers by going up to the microphone with a cassette recorder, and he pushes a button, and it's the sign-off for WDEF out of Chattanooga, that 1 a.m. sign-off where they played the national anthem. Mm. Oh, and wow. Alvin, you know, got it. You caught a few words of the announcer, and then here's the national anthem. And that crowd for a minute and a half, however long the national anthem is, they were respectful of him. Right. They stood up, they took off their caps and, and he, I just thought this guy's smarter than he looks sure. because everybody was just kind of watching for sport, how he was going to be, you know, taken apart by the crowd. And he, he really kind of set the right tone hmm. and there were a few heckles after it, but uh, not as bad as it would have been. Right. What a great, uh, what a great move. I mean, that if you wanted somebody to, if you wanted a, a very uh, contained audience to tame pretty quick, that'd be one way to do it. Yeah, the absolutely. anthem, you know, and also a great way to get everybody's attention. Yes. You know, yeah. Everybody just standing there at the end of it, you're the first speaker up at the end of that. Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. No matter where you are in the lineup. Right. 
So how did Alvin become your client and what was it about him that made you want to represent him and take on this case? Well, uh, my book really begins, chapter one begins at my humiliating defeat in a race for U.S. Congress. I was in the Georgia State Legislature in the Georgia House of Representatives for four terms. Hmm. And I had gone there as a very young man in my 20s. I had uh, uh, kind of thought I might have a long future in Georgia politics, or I hoped. And uh, the world really changed, and Georgia changed, and uh, I get my ass handed to me in the (laughs) congressional race. And going through a whole lot of other things in my life, I had developed type 1 insulin-dependent diabetes, which I have 30 years now controlled with an insulin pump, which is fantastic, by the way. And I know you've got some listeners. I hope that they can get whatever, uh, you know, our national health care is a mess, but I hope they can get on an insulin pump. Yeah, because of sure. the sensors and the, all that's that's out there today, it's it's essentially an artificial pancreas now. That's so. Uh, but anyway, I didn't know that then, and I had a, a real fatalistic view of you know my future at that point. And I'd gone through a divorce, and I uh, another opportunity political appointment just completely fell through, and so I realized you know I need to get back to work. I need to you know for the first time, practice law on a full-time basis because I had been messing around for a decade in politics and I'd been a prosecutor for a short time, two years. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to get my life back together. And then 11 months later, I'm seen out advising and the strangest, scariest man in town who claimed his wife died and everybody's response was, You've got a wife. (laughs) Nobody in the generation that had grown up there remembered that he had ever been married. The Mm -hmm. very old people in the community, they kind of remembered that he that he had a wife, but uh, they knew that uh, she didn't. They thought she had left him. Right. And some people thought she had died. Uh, including her family, who thought for years he had murdered her and done something with the body. Right. So the problem was because Alvin was so paranoid and his demeanor was such that, again, could be explained later, he just met everyone with this very menacing stare. And, and, And he was thinking everybody was out to get him. Well, that's a terrible formula. When somebody close to you dies that hasn't been seen in 30, 27 years was actually the last time she was seen. The last place she was seen was in the large courtroom of the older courthouse in Catoosa County, where Alvin and Virginia were being evicted. And um, they, Alvin fought it with a jury trial. And luckily, he left a record where I could find that file in the courthouse and found jurors at, from that case. And it, at that point, it had been 27 years since that case. Jeez. And so I was finding jurors. Gosh, now it's over 50 years since <laughs> that case. But I found living jurors. And 
it was pretty fascinating what they even remembered about the matter of who was Virginia Ridley and where had she been. And that's really what my book explores. Right. That's, um, you know, I had mentioned I had something I wanted to tell you right before we got started. And it just so happens. I used to have a job where I traveled all the time and I would be in just constant hotel room after hotel room uh, for weeks on end. And part of my, I hate to say it, my guilty pleasure was watching forensic files before I went to sleep. And, you know, this whole time when, when we're reading the book and, and I'm, I'm remembering some things, I'm like, I feel like I've heard this before. And then not more than a couple of days ago, I'm YouTube surfing like people do. And I come across the forensic files. I'm like, I've seen that show. I'm like, that's where I remember this from. Mm-hmm. But well, no. right after the case, there was a flurry of press just because of the very unusual circumstances of the case. Right. right. A woman missing for three decades, basically. And that drew the tabloids in, you know, with a headline, Sicko Holes Wife Captive. 30 years, then kills her. That was the National Examiner. And it was so tough that at the end of the case, I I wanted to set the record straight. And that really was what I wanted to do with a a book all along. Mm -hmm. But we went through the most circuitous path to get to this book because I was just giving the story away. Anybody want to talk to me about this? I'm ready to tell about this story. Uh, You remember from the book, the uh, infamous forensic pathologist that I hired Mm -hmm. turned out to be a disaster. He pitched it to forensic files. Oh, did he really? And was on it. And it made me so mad that when I heard he was going to be on it, I said, Folks, this guy was a disaster. Do not let him say anything about this case. And they basically said, and I've been teasing uh, on Reddit, the Forensic Files community includes some of the people that worked for Forensic Files uh, 25 years ago. So I've reconnected with one of the uh, employees, and she said, I remember having the conversation with you that we were going to let the guy be on the show because he pitched the story to us. And I said, he nearly destroyed us. Yeah. Yeah. He does not need this. And and that was one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, because uh, talk about some drama. When yeah. that was going down in the courtroom, yeah. I thought, we are lost. Yeah, and without tipping the hat, that was, that was definitely one of the parts in the book where I'm like, oh, I was heartbroken. No. I'm like, <laughs> I felt your pain immediately. I'm like... That's it. You know, I just, hadn't, over. <laughs> I just hadn't vetted the guy very well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wish him well. Yeah. Uh, right, it's just, right. uh, oh, but Reddit has a whole uh, thread about him. Uh, he's apparently notorious. Oh, Reddit. Boy, you can get lost in Reddit. Yes, you can. <laughs> so with that, and and I, I know, and it's funny because we live in, we live in a small town in the Midwest, and I almost feel like, I've met a few Alvins in my time, especially yes. in this area. And really, uh, well, I'm from a really, really small yeah, town. Absolutely. And there's always that person in a small town that right. everyone knows about. Right. That's well, kind of like Alvin. Not, not yeah. spoiling it, but uh, just so your your potential, your viewers and my hopefully potential readers will know. Okay. If you have a person with autism in your life, 
you would have figured out Alvin Ridley before I did. Right. right. This was 25 years ago when this was happening. Yeah. The science on adult autism was not really out there much. The mm -hmm. The fact that it's a spectrum had only been out a couple of years, maybe four years. Um, and the focus seemed to be, and you guys will remember, you were probably in your mid-20s, but you remember people were starting to talk about it, but they were trying to find blame for it. Yes. Right. Like it was a new thing. Autism mm -hmm. has been with us for ages and right as a matter of fact some of our smarter like contributors biggest contributors to our culture have been autistic yes yeah and, absolutely and alvin ridley is very autistic but in a high functioning way right he was a laser focused picture tube tv repairman mm -hmm. there i cannot find a soul that says he could not fix their television yeah, and mm -hmm. and now that the book is out, he fixed everybody's TV. Apparently, yeah. oh, I remember I'm him. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's yeah. okay because it's a much better and warmer community toward Alvin than it ever has been. Good. Yeah. And so much that on the twenty second of this month, which is two days after the release in Atlanta, and at the by the way, any of your listeners in Atlanta area. Uh, February the 20th at 7 p.m. at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library is where my publisher is uh, decided to launch the book. Then two days later in Ringgold, Georgia. But the Ringgold Youth Council, which is a group of high school and college students that kind of learning government and things, they are having an event honoring Alvin Ridley. Oh. And I'm telling you, had you told me 27 <laughs> years ago when I started helping him, that they were going to be honoring Alvin Ridley one day. This is just sweet, sweet justice. What a, what a great turn. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And, and Alvin is a guy who loves warmth and mm -hmm. affection. Yeah. And he was getting none of it 25 yeah. years ago. And, and I even fought with him. Uh, right. Because I couldn't figure out where he was coming from, why sure. he seemed to be hell-bent on kneecapping all of my efforts mm -hmm. to help him and represent him. And, of course, you read all of those exploits. Yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. I'm like, this man's a saint. Yeah, and that kind of that kind of brings me to what I was I was kind of driving at was, what were, I, obviously, hindsight 2020, now that you know, but back then you didn't know, like, what were the difficulties in representing him with, with given the the kneecapping and we won't you don't have to get too far into that but and, and it was also in a town that everybody knew him so mm -hmm. they also knew these difficulties high insight not you know not being uh in play here his his fourth grade teacher was a little old lady who uh, um as i was preparing for the trial she made an observation she said he cried every day of fourth grade mm. And I would imagine that Alvin was probably was probably bullied. Yes. Uh, he was just uh, just the kind of kid that drew that response from others, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more of stories I heard of these out incredible stories of Alvin's revenge on these people <laughs> uh, and and it was verified the other day. Uh, he he told me of a story of one guy uh, stealing his hat, 
his cap or whatever. And Alvin plunged a long, like, uh, I guess a needle from a, uh, a, a clothing store, like a, one of those giant needles with a little oh, yeah. pearl on the top. And he oh, jabbed yeah. it so deep in the guy's arm, it stuck in the bone. Oh, and Alvin just, you know, told me like, he's kind of proud of it, and I, but he'll tell a story that really happened when he was 12, but he makes it sound like it happened last week. Right. And, and this old man called me, uh, in my office, uh, his daughter rung the phone for him and he's, he's, his nickname was Tadpole Byers. And he said, this is Tadpole Byers. Do you know who I am? And I said, yes, sir, I do. I know that Alvin Ridley plunged a needle into your arm one time. <laughs> and it t- took 20 bucks to Dr. Stevenson to get out. And he said, that's absolutely true. That's so funny. And so, you know, but then Alvin will will tell a lot of stories. He went and served his country in the U.S. Army. Yeah. And never left Georgia after basic training. But uh, he tells of a sergeant wanting him to fix his TV. So he got like a three-day pass and brought the TV to Ringgold and then called the sergeant and said, I'm going to need a part. I'm going to need more days at home. And the, the guy gave him like a week more. Oh, my God. And, and, and Alvin had the TV fixed like when, when he got home, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so his stories are charming now. Right. But in 1997... He stalked me on the street, uh, starting two days after his wife's death. I didn't speak to him. We just crossed paths. Next day, we crossed the same path at the same place. Third day on a Wednesday, I realized he's launching from a phone stand, the one that he actually called 911 from. Mm-hmm. And he's this is by design. He is trying to meet me. And so... I just stopped and said, you know, Mr. Ridley, you know, sorry for your loss or whatever I said. And that's where we started conversing. And his face kind of uh, screwed up like a kid that's about to cry, but they haven't, they they can't get that breath yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can't get the breath in. Right. And, And he was just like that. And he reminded me so much of a child. And, and yet he would rage. Uh, he would, uh, we would be, we would yell at each other. And, and I won't, I won't give, I, I will tell your listeners this. There was one time, it was before I learned how to manage him better. Yeah. That he was extremely polite to women. So if I just simply had my secretary sit in with us, he was fine. But I didn't realize this then. And so he starts to scream at me about the county taking his van. And I would say, Alvin, or Mr. Ridley at that point, this is a murder investigation. And you need to be talking to me about your wife and not the van that was taken in 1984. And this was 1998. And he said, no, I don't, because I didn't kill my wife. But they did take my van. And right. so I had to work around that kind of logic all yeah. the time with him. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point, he was winding up to scream at me about all the bad things that had befallen him. And um, 
he started in on about the van and I just in exasperation I just said oh lord well he went silent and I looked at him and he thought I was praying and so he literally assumed a child's prayer position Hmm. with his hands and his head bowed and I first thought you know is he having a stroke or what's going on and then I realized oh no I said oh lord he's ready to pray sure and I I just started basically giving my legal advice to him in the form of a evangelistic prayer. Sure. I <laughs> and mean, sometimes it would get loud and sometimes it was an altar call for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we, but, but it was working because yeah. he, he was respectful enough of religion mm-hmm. and I felt like God would forgive me for, for doing it. Yeah. Uh, if it was moving us along a, a path of, uh, you know, of helping him. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. His mind could be still and take the information in. It's almost like, I was going to say, it's almost like that, that moment where he can take a, take himself into a different headspace where he can, he can be there. um, I guess, be there at that moment to help get, you know, information from you without having to get too far down the road. And some of the other things he was thinking about at that time. Well, Jesus wasn't through with us, as it turned out, <laughs> yes. as, you, as you read. Yes. So, yeah. uh, you know, um, it, it, I learned so much in representing Alvin about people who are misunderstood. And, uh, you know, I'm currently representing an autistic young man who uh, also had other issues and uh, had a seizure. His grandmother calls for an ambulance, and very often first responders are the law enforcement cops. Mm-hmm. And of course, when the kid's coming out of his seizure and kind of blacked out state, he's confused. Right. Well, resulting in an obstruction charge is very often a person with autism or a person with another developmental disability will end up with obstruction or worse charge you know sometimes right. felony obstruction charges right yeah so um alvin was a lot he was actually very respectful with law enforcement he let them in the house every time they showed up i represented him i advised him and represented him for over a year before <laughs> he would let me in his house yeah and i i just could not figure it out right yeah, I mean, he probably definitely had that, especially having been in the military. My, I myself have been. Um, you have that immediate authoritative respect, so um, must have actually really rang true for him. But well, thank. What branch did you serve in? I, actually, I started in the Navy and then ended, ended in the Army, so I was in two different branches. How do How do you do that? Oh, I asked myself. Transfer that all portal the time. somewhere. So, <laughs> so no, I had I had served in the Navy for a very long time, but the one thing I always wanted to be. Um, was in the medical field, so I wanted to be a medic. Um, but I couldn't get out of the line of work I was in in the Navy because we were too undermanned. So I had to actually go into reserve, then go from reserve, basically go blue to green. And um, and, and then I became a medic. And you know that, that thing they always tell you, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it? <laughs> oh, I got it. So, uh, yeah, I was, in the, I was a medic for a while, and that's where – that's where I crossed paths with this one. Well, and things happen for a reason. Yep. 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 
Absolutely. Uh, and, and as you know, that's kind of what my book is about, too. Mm-hmm. Unanswered prayers. Yes. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. so glad I didn't go to Congress now. Yes. And, and uh, thank you for your service, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yes. And uh, Alvin, I got him a hat that says Army Veteran. No, oh, that's awesome. He, to him, that is the most magic hat. Yes. Because people will show him respect. Here's huh. now a gentle looking 80, almost 82 year old man. And people will go out of their way to speak to him now. Mm-hmm. And and we really did need a bit of a generation to pass for yeah. Alvin to get that kind of respect. But uh, it's really funny. We were eating out in another part of the county in a town called Fort Oglethorpe where they I know exactly where that Corral, is. And Alvin yeah. loves Golden Corral. <laughs> so we were eating out there and this guy gets between us and he says, excuse me. And he thanked Alvin for his service. And welcomed him home. And I thought, okay, he came back from <laughs> Columbus, Georgia in 1966. Yep. It's a little late. But He's been home for a while. Welcome <laughs> home. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny. When you say these words, I, I spend a little bit of time in that area, um, basically in Trenton, Georgia area. Yeah, Bay um, County. Yeah. And uh, I think the corner we- of Georgia, the northwest yeah. corner. Yeah, actually, that was the one time I told my wife, I said, hey, uh, uh, on this particular trip, I'm going to three states all in the same day. So. Yeah, in about what 15 minutes? Yeah, about 15 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, that's that's awesome. It's it's I love that area. Um, beautiful mountainous area. Uh, it's just the um, yeah. I, I can't say enough great things about it. But well, thank you. Well, yeah. all the people in the book are real. Um, I I I really felt like I don't want there to be a bad guy the book right because i was as guilty as any of them in not understanding alvin ridley yeah Um, Yeah, i don't i don't think it comes across that way at all no it doesn't Um, i mean it's just before the time that we understood what the autism is and how they you know process things and how they're socially awkward they fixate on things um, and that definitely comes across in the book. Mm-hmm. Now that we know, or people that do know what autism is, it's very clear. From yeah. The moment you open the book, that's exactly what he's got. Mm-hmm. Back yeah, then, we didn't know. It, I mean, absolutely. You and and I, um, I wanted to show Alvin uh, in a dignified way with respect. But at the same time, show what hell I was going through. Sure. Right. Uh, right. Trying to work around uh, some of the uh, more uh, un- non typical ways of thinking, uh, neurodiverse, uh, yes. is the way it's said now. But uh, uh, my logic did not work on him at all. Mm-hmm. And and I under I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. But but Alvin today is a, and I don't know if age does it he's sharp his faculties are sharp he's got uh, good memories of all our stories and over the years well we go to lunch now twice a week and i've been in this jury trial now for three days and i gotta go back tomorrow so i it's been the longest i haven't had lunch with alvin in years Mm -hmm. but my secretary will kind of look after him and we get him to the va uh he's he's driving now is uh more restricted to secondary roads and and uh but he values his independence and we're doing our best to keep him sure 
independent and able to uh, enjoy life because he is really enjoying his best life right now. That's great to hear. Still misses his wife, still mourns for her. And and this funny thing about the the, uh, autism that Alvin has, uh, it's it's often as if uh, his emotions are not aligned with the environment the way we expect of people right and and that was one of the things they 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 literally used his autistic mannerisms against him at trial yeah. yep yeah. and it was understandable mm-hmm. back then but it's inexcusable now yeah exactly and, and so my, my call to action is hopefully to address the situation we've got 5.5 million adults with autism that have never been diagnosed and i guarantee they are having an inordinate amount of contact with police and courts yeah yes just because the way they're presenting and sometimes uh, uh you know uh, an officer that's not trained may think they're challenging his authority exactly when really they just didn't understand what you said because right. they're not wired when when Alvin was diagnosed, he asked me to go with him. I, I found the person to to evaluate him that specializes in adult autism. And she had a couple of questions for him. And one was, what what do these phrases make you feel like? One was, she's gotten under your skin. Well, it almost made Alvin just recoil with, you know, horror of the thought that somebody could get under your skin literally Mm -hmm. because that's the way he's thinking about it Mm -hmm. and the other one was he wears his heart on his sleeve and alvin's got excited and said i know what that means he's got an artificial heart Uh (laughs) and he's kind of looking at me because here i have what i call the pancreas in my pocket right the insulin pump and so he thought he you know he had an answer there you know and it was again extremely literal Right. Uh, about something. We use so much figurative language. Right. In, exactly. And our little maxims and, and you know, uh, metaphors. And, 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 yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and they just fall on deaf ears with somebody with Alvin's condition. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think in the book, to be honest with you, and this is kind of my, my interpretation, is that it came from a very incredibly vulnerable and honest position um you know not given obviously the story away or anything uh or the events that happened but i i have to admit i was very taken aback by how how vulnerable and honest you were in in approaching you know some of the things that Mm -hmm. that you were experiencing with alvin and not just that i think you did a really great job of kind of reflecting back his vulnerability for us to understand so uh no i i think that comes across really well well i had uh my late mother and father, uh, I, when I was trying to re- write the book, and if you write something that happened, you know, 20 years ago, yeah, you may not be completely in line with everything that happened in your life at the time. You're right. right. But my mother kept journals. And my sisters and I have been kind of like, got them stuck in one of, one of our basements and, uh, because we know that there were some very frank and honest discussions about family goings on. Right. And uh, I had an alcoholic parent, my father. 
mm-hmm. and wonderful, loving person. I, I I hate the southern stereotypical wife beater t-shirt, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and alcoholism can run the the same gamut of all personalities. My father was a very sweet, loving person who had a severe alcoholism problem, mostly uh, resulting in uh, just being sad and and being drunk. And so when I read my mother's journals, because I was trying to figure out, you know, when did I bring Alvin? When did I surprise the family with Alvin, uh, you know, uh, showing up at a holiday? Um I realized what my family was going through at the time, and I guess I'd put it away, but we actually did an intervention on my father, and uh, who was a World War II era Marine, mm. and wow. uh, worked in a foundry uh, in Chattanooga for 40 years before he retired. But he, uh, it was during that intervention that I told him, you know, I've been advising Alvin Ridley, and my dad counseled me and he said you know he's 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 odd but he's a good man right and my dad's kindness i i realized that may be the approach with alvin because i remembered he and my dad got along famously right and so i tried to take a different tack with him and it it helped but it wasn't easy i still had to go through a lot of humiliation from other lawyers from judges from people who they were seeing me turn myself inside out to accommodate this very unusual man. And, you know, there was some teasing. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, so I'll just tell them my publisher just ordered a second print. So. <laughs> <Right. laughs> couldn't couldn't mm-hmm. put a finer point on it than that. <laughs> but you did the right thing. Yeah, of yeah. course. Well, and I don't think I conscientiously thought that. I thought... Right. I was beaten down uh, in life and in politics. I did remarry, and so I was getting happier in that that department of my life. But I was beaten down in other ways, and professionally, and and just in spirit. And uh, Alvin gave me, you know, was a real challenge, and that's really kind of what I needed was that challenge. And and I, I know I. I I hope you got the version of the book with because I never understand arcs. They go out full of typos. They, yeah. I mean, there's like an obvious typo there. That's not even a letter in the middle of that yeah, word, right. you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And no pictures. No, no and, pictures. And, and uh, I've already shamed three people for trying to sell their arc on eBay. Oh. And I like, I, I like really, I'm obsessed. I'm a, I'm a micromanager and I'm obsessive. And that's part of uh, my story from my childhood probably. But, uh, but I've like gotten on people like, you're not supposed to sell these. And they yeah. like, okay. So I can uh, assure you ours is going nowhere. No. Well, <laughs> well uh, at one point, my opponent that just kicked my ass in the congressional race reaches out to call me. Was that in your version of the book? Uh, I don't. I think, think so. it. I think it was in a a late minute readjustment, and I don't think it made the arc. Right. But Alvin believed that the federal government was going to be his salvation, 
and I later learned that Virginia also believed that the federal government was going to be their salvation. Hmm. They did not trust local or state government. Hmm. But okay. federal government, that was something they both had high respect for and they felt was going to save them. Well, I had just failed running for Congress, and a year later, I'm representing the scariest guy in town. And I'm in the office with him. We're not having that productive a meeting, and uh, because none of them were that productive. And my secretary sticks her head in, and she says, oh, the congressman tried to call you. And I thought, oh, wow, the guy that completely took me out of politics He's wanting to talk to me, and I noticed Alvin kind of straightening himself up. Like I thought, he thinks this that call is, is in the book. Yeah, that is him. Yeah, and yeah. and it was the congressman, all right. And the first thing he said was, "Keep Alvin Ridley away from my congressional office. <laughs> it's frightening the ladies that work there." <laughs> well, I did not want to just completely destroy Alvin's paradigm. Mm-hmm. of the federal government being the one, the good, the good guys. Right. right. And so I walked him out of the car and I said, Alvin, I got something to tell you. I said, what? And I just thought on my feet and I said, you know, that damn gu- congressman. And he <laughs> said, yeah. And I said, he hates me so much that if either one of us show up at his congressional office, he's going to arrest us. And Alvin was like bewildered because he knew the guy whacked me pretty hard. And why would he hate me now? And I said, Alvin, if you'll just cooperate and help me help you when this is all over with, I'll show you where he lives. (laughs) (laughs) And that satisfied him. Yep. (laughs) That's a a great pivot. That's so awesome. But internally, it also motivated me. Yeah. Because now my pride was on the line. Because here's the guy that took me out of politics, and now he's telling me how my client should behave. And I right. thought, I gotta work. I gotta win this game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, I and I. It's so funny because that that by the way that did make it in our copy. So I'm oh, glad, yeah, we Excellent. didn't read that. I but, just remembered it when you started talking about it. But it's just so funny because I, I definitely get that feeling that given that story that. It almost seems like the both of you needed each other at that same exact time. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that's a true story. Yeah. That's a true statement. Uh, and would have never figured it out uh, because he was fighting me at every turn. Mm-hmm. And and I was constantly questioning myself, did I make a huge mistake here? Right, right. So I'm, I don't know how to exactly ask this without giving it away. And you can choose to answer yeah. whatever you think that you are allowed to answer. Okay. <laughs> um, I know when, you know, you know, wrote to us about, since we have a paranormal channel, you believe there's some paranormal stuff that may have helped your case. Is there I, anything that you would like to say about that? Or well, want first, to give reference I, I, I to? don't think I am as in, intuitive as a lot of people who maybe empaths or Mm-hmm. People who I do believe that there are people that feel things and sense things that other people don't sense, and I and I think I'm on the latter uh, of those two. I think I just kind of bumble through life, and I 
never really feel the eerie sensation of uh, uh, someone who has departed still being with us. I mean, I've, I've, I've had some weird encounters of things that couldn't be explained, but I just put it out of my mind. But a part of this story was trying to figure out who Virginia Ridley was. And despite scores of law enforcement walking through their house, investigating if they could find evidence of her life or evidence of her being uh, restrained or kept and locked up, and they went all over the house, but they didn't look very closely. And and then Alvin just kind of, and I know he wasn't because he he was denying me access to his house, but I surprised him with a turkey plate on Thanksgiving 1998 that my parents made me take him. That's the last place I wanted to go. <laughs> and But I surprised him with it, and I, I began to realize how transactional Alvin is, and I think that is also an autistic trait. Yes. Right. That if you give something to him, he feels like he needs to give something back. Right. And I didn't know what the turkey plate that if that was the price of admission to his house. <laughs> and when I got into his house, I found a lot of very unusual evidence of Virginia Ridley's life and existence. Let's just leave it at that. Yep. Mm -hmm. But and it was an ordeal to first gain access to it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Secondly, use it actually to help Alvin because he was again kneecapping our my efforts. Um, but by the time it all came together, uh, and I'll just say that, and this is verified on forensic files. <laughs> Alvin infested the Catoosa County Courthouse with cockroaches. Yeah. It's uh they interviewed one of the jurors on Forensic Files and she's explaining that he insisted on keeping the evidence. And they could tell the jurors could tell that I was struggling with him that he was the one in charge of everything. But in coming along with the evidence that I finally got him to agree to bring to court, he brought scores of cockroaches. And it ended up having this incredible reaction uh, because we were next to the judge's office. The judge realized, I don't want to be, you know, infested with cockroaches. Yeah. So he right. made us change courtrooms to the connected but separate old Catoosa County Courthouse built in uh, as a Works Progress Administration project in 1939. Depression era project, um, but anyway, it's got a grander, big, airy courtroom, and uh, the judge thought we're going to finish this trial over there. Well, I knew because Alvin made me do all the ancient case research of stuff that I thought doing, but he insisted that was my giving in. I would have to go look at some ancient civil research and give him my advice on is it really dead or not? And he would never accept it. But uh, we were going into the courtroom, which was the last place Virginia Ridley had ever been seen wow. 27 years before. And I felt an eeriness 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Because we're reuniting her with something that she made. Right. And the something that she made was going to acquit her husband. Yeah. Of the, of the charge of her murder. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you that there it's just not coincidence. It was eerie. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've even ho- heard, you know, people on these shows talk about, well, you get into a real cold uh, part of a room or a house old or spot. a building mm-hmm. and yep. old spot. Well, I experienced that in the courtroom. Did mm. you? And it was weird. Uh, of course, it was January. <laughs> and sure. North Georgia yeah. does get cold. I mean, yeah. we had some, you know, <laughs> 20 degrees. That, but in the old courthouse, which is, you know, got a furnace and they keep it warm. I sensed, and I didn't write this because I, I didn't, you know, you guys are are more experts at it. I didn't want to get the sen- the feeling wrong, but I, uh, but I really did feel that Virginia was in the courtroom with us. Yeah, and I think you can sense those sort of yeah. things. And, yeah, and and that's the thing that we can't, you know, impart any knowledge on because you were physically there. And yeah, when you're physically somewhere, you know what you feel. Yeah. And so even if the room was cold, that spot can still be colder. There can always be a colder spot yeah. than what's around it. So yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Do you, and it's one of those where the, the items that we're talking, the thing that we're talking about that mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about, <laughs> uh, I think that those, those definitely, I think, resound or re- resonate quite a bit in that. Um, the cockroaches definitely too, because you know, those are kind of things that you hear about in some of these paranormal things too, but right. um, without, again, tipping too much into the story. Well, well, uh, and, and something really weird happened, and I know you read it in the book, but I don't know how much I explained my investigation of it, but I, I got frustrated with Alvin. And I got frustrated with him on a number of levels. We had had a bit of a humiliating day in court because Alvin kind of, he would come file separate motions mm-hmm. than me. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I've got this covered, but <laughs> no, he doesn't think I have it covered well enough. Right. Well, I at least got him to stop calling them emotions. Cause yes. that's yep. what he would file an emotion. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. Actually. I'd, I'd like for them all to be called that. Uh, it kind of fits. Uh, you I've know? got a bad mood. I'd like to file your honor. <laughs> you know, so uh, Alvin, uh, I, he just frustrated me. Yeah. yeah. And I was at my wit's end and I was exhausted. And I finally just said, Alvin, I just lashed out at him for something that I immediately felt bad about. Yeah. yeah. And it was his hygiene. And I just, the minute it came out of my mouth, why don't you go please to the truck stop and just take a bath. I don't know if I can sit close to you. I wanted to grab those words out of the air and cram them back down in my mouth. The minute I said, yeah. he just went into another subject about how he gets the rat that lives in his car out every day. And I'm like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> and he would say, well, what you do before you start the car, you get real quiet and then you scream at the top of your lungs. <laughs> And then the rat will leave the car. Mm-hmm. 
of course, I had to ask, well, how do you know it's a rat? Well, because I see his number twos all over the place. <laughs> well, Alvin's constantly leaving food in the car. He's a big fast food fan. And so yeah. he's baiting that car. Sure. Wise. And, you know, mice and rats will eat through wires to get to, you know, yes, food. Or, oh, yeah. And this obviously had access to the inside of his car. So that night or the next night I was in the office working on the case and I heard something under the floor and mm -hmm. I could tell it was in the air conditioning duct. And I'm thinking it's a mouse or a rat, maybe a squirrel. And I thought, I'm going to try Alvin's method. And <laughs> I like lay down on the floor and I'm trying to listen my floor on the hardwood, trying to figure out where it is. And it seems to be scampering toward the register. And so I get crawl over there army style and I'm ready to do the Alvin Ridley formulated. Here's how you deal with rodents. Screamed, scared the thing to death, but it was a skunk. Oh no. And it sprayed everywhere. And you know, a skunk doesn't have to be that close to no. completely ruin your life. Yes. And it got on the files. It got on me. It got on the, my computer in my office. And I had to go to court uh, as cleaned up as I could be, but the files still stunk. <laughs> and Alvin made a comment about, wow, you, I, somebody, did you have a falling out with a skunk? That's what he asked me. <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking, somebody gave me my comeuppance. Yeah. Now, what yeah. I don't know if I wrote about was, the back of my office building, there was a small access door that was usually latched. It didn't have a lock on it, but it was very clearly latched. It was hanging open. Hmm. And the duct work had a clear slit uh, really? as if it was cut open. Interesting. And uh, first I thought, that Alvin just completely punked me on something. Yeah. And yeah. and is he capable of that kind of like revenge or or and then I started thinking maybe Virginia did it to me. You know, maybe. she did not like how I was speaking about her husband. I mean, know? that is that is definitely one of those things that make you really think about something like that. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I never never mentioned it again. Uh he they uh, recently they made him take a bath at the VA hospital when he was getting his cataract surgery mm -hmm. and he described the ordeal. But I realize now, like some people with autism, he does not like the feel of water on his skin. Yes. And yeah. oh, that makes me feel even worse for, yeah. for, you know, trying to get on him for not taking a bath. But I do have the satisfaction in knowing that the VA nurses made him do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, my secretary and I will buy him clothes. And by the way, I got to get him some clothes for our, our opening. Mm, yeah. Uh, but as soon as I get out of this trial, but my secretary and I will buy him clothes, usually from Land's End product placement. <laughs> they're, they're not my sponsor maybe they'll be yours now hey we'll take it but, yeah. you know, they got great fast return and you know the classic khakis and the classic yeah. uh print shirts and whatever that that suit alvin 
So we'll get it for him. And he's, he's really interesting because he'll wear a sports coat. And he and his hair is always trim and combed perfect. His hair is always that way. <laughs> and he was always clean shaven. So he had a a dignity about him, an old school dignity. Right. He gets on to me and says, men shouldn't wear shorts. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I'm conscientious about it now. Cause so right. I don't. <laughs> anymore but not around him but uh you know it's it's really he had a dignity about him even when he smelled so bad you didn't want to be next to him right i gotta tell you though after the trial it doesn't bother me i know he smells the same yeah but it doesn't bother me because i've kind of been through war with this guy sure it's kind of like a brother a big brother that you know War is not always done on a battlefield. Well, at least in the sense of, you know, a tanks and, and, you know, AR, well, your guys, AR 15, RM 16, you know, yeah. war is war. And that, I agree. You were in the trenches with him for sure. But yeah. you understand him now. You understand why he doesn't. It's just not, I just want to be dirty. It's more of a, it's a I thing. can't stand to be, have and, and thing on my skin. It's, it's texture things. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he, mm-hmm. he, he recoils at hush puppies. <laughs> not hmm. the shoe brand product right. placement, yeah. uh, it, but the the cornbread, the, right. the, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the 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 bread. Uh, yes, right. And he, he's constantly offering me his hush puppies because they come with some of the meals that he always gets. And right. He forgets that I I don't like hush puppies. Right. And uh, you know, but his is I think more of a textural thing. Right. right. Yeah. The sensory. Yeah. Is what they call it, basically. Gosh, I love a good hush puppy. Unfortunately, we're gluten sensitive, so I don't get to have it anymore. But gosh, those are good. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so kind of really kind of wrapping it up here, McCracken. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about quite a bit with uh, without, without, Alvin, without talking about it, Yeah, without talking about <laughs> we, it, which is good. Yep. Um, well, and you know what? I don't think we've even said the name of the book. No, well, I think I did at the beginning, but did we're going to okay. anyway. I'm going to let you okay. talk about it, and I'm going to hold it right up here. Well, I've got one, too. Yep. Yes, there it is. And, yep. uh, my book is Zenith Man, and that is Alvin Ridley and his wife, Virginia, the missing woman for uh, three decades. Absolutely. That is taken in a photo booth at a little amusement park that's still open in my county. But oh, it was 1965, one. Lake Winnipesoka. Uh, in uh, in Catoosa County, Georgia. And uh, when people are looking up the book, you're going to see there's two books titled Zenith Man. Mm-hmm. Well, the other one, which made it on before ours did, is also our story. Mm. Oh, but it's okay. with different names and a different town name. And 20 years ago, New Line Cinema, uh, with my permission, uh, bought a screenplay from uh, uh, Mark Bailey, who's a writer, who's uh, his wife is Rory Kennedy, the documentarian, and they, oh yeah, he works a lot with her and writes a lot of the the and um, I I've got to be friends with Rory over another case that I had, and you know she told me about Mark being a writer and so 
we started working together on me telling him the story and him proposing a screenplay. Well, New Line Cinema, you know, bought it and held on to it for five years. And uh, so we were thinking any minute, any minute, it's going to be a movie. And then New Line kind of went under and the new administration Mm -hmm. revived it. Suddenly ours was a tainted project of the old, the old guys, you know, Mm -hmm. but I gave them the name Zenith Man. Okay. Nobody called Alvin Zenith Man for years and years. But if you read in the book, Mm -hmm. I was throwing myself a party because I did not have to try the case (laughs) that term. (laughs) And it was my birthday. And one of my new wife's friends came down and he was of a younger generation and he didn't, they didn't know him well enough to call him crazy Alvin, but they knew that building. And they said, so I see you're, I heard you were representing that Zenith man. And mm-hmm. I thought, man, that's a great thing to call Alvin. Yeah. Other than crazy Alvin. Exactly. Oh, for and, sure. And, you know, and I, you know, I, I liked it. And so I honored that guy who's now, you know, father with children I saw him the other night and I said, by the way, you're in the book. You named the book. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. But another writer, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I overreacted. Uh, there is no, I've been giving away the story for years. I just wish somebody had asked us just to give input. Right. But the fact that she didn't, uh, had I done that, I might have been satisfied that a book was written. And that might have satisfied me. Yeah, I think I've always been frustrated in any fictionalization of it. Right. Because right. that was the plan with New Line was, I'm going to let them, I'm not going to complain whatever they do. Right. But I'm going to do it factual. Yep. And and so I was frustrated when it came out. And, you know, I, I was overreactive. And I have since apologized to the woman and said, look, you know, it's fair game. But I'm taking my title back. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, it's got a subtitle. Yes. But, but, but it couldn't, for, to me, it couldn't be anything but Zenith Man. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. That's perfect. It, even though young people don't know what Zenith was. No. No, they don't. They sure don't. And they'll never know the pain of vice grips on a channel changer. Oh, and, yeah. Gosh. You or know. even walking across the room to turn the channel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You send yeah. your youngest child. Yep. To, yeah. yeah. Yep. But, yep. Uh, but it's coming out uh, February 20th. I don't know when this, uh, when your podcast drops, is it? Um, It will be, I think, a couple days after, actually. Right. Oh, so, yeah. exciting. So it'll be available. So I yes. It'll be available right now. I, I yeah. can tell your readers that it's available for instant delivery from all <laughs> the major booksellers and should be in some stores. So uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, you know, uh, Books A Million, and Target and Walmart. Oh, that's so awesome. Great. I'm very excited, and I'm very honored that you allowed me to come on. Uh, because it's not a full-on paranormal story, but there's some weird, some weird things happening in it. For Absolutely. sure. Absolutely, and but it's I, definitely true crime. So yeah. it already fits it. So. Oh, yeah, good. we do cover true crime as well. So we're not just you know paranormal. Because honestly, true crime—if you really break it down—is kind of paranormal when you look at you know yeah. the all the different that can... things that happen. So that's a good point. Yeah. Well, well, I want to invite your uh, viewers to uh, to come to Ringgold, Georgia, one day. I Absolutely. would love to see Alvin's story 
create a little, you know, true crime tourism. That'd be great. Uh, the shop where he used to be his shop is now a coffee shop. Uh, I like, like his shrine to Virginia. I've kind of built a shrine to him with significant uh, articles, uh, People Magazine, Washington Post. But I've also got the only, because Alvin took the rest of them back, and Virginia's, the things that we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, they were already deteriorating. Yeah. And, but I have preserved about four of them. And oh, they are on display at the uh, coffee shop. That's fantastic. So, uh, but I'm very accessible. People can uh, email me, uh, postedlaw at gmail.com, my last name, and poston, P-O-S-T-O-N-L-A-W at gmail.com, and ask me any questions. And you can send Alvin messages because we love sitting together after uh, it's been on Forensic Files again for like, 20 years. I wish I got royalties, but uh, you know, we got nothing. We gave, we, we did it for free, but man, I haven't had to buy a phone book ad in 20 years because oh, wow. I get such good coverage from that. Yeah. So, uh, but if you'll email me, I will t- read Alvin, your email oh, and that's send great. you back a picture of Alvin during one of our lunches. That's perfect. I love that. Well, please pass on our well wishes to Alvin from us because it it was great, great reading and knowing his story and me piecing together that I had once heard this before, too. So, yeah, um, that was how we snuck up on people. We got in your subliminal (laughs) mind from forever being on forensic files and then, oh, yeah, that's familiar. Well, I'm just so glad that he has you because, I mean, at the basis of the story, it's a man that was misunderstood, probably bullied a lot, made fun of, and he lost his wife, the yeah. one person that really saw him. And we so were, you're a good man for sticking by him all these years and we were having touch. We were having lunch the other day and there's in the in the coffee shop. And uh I can't remember the song, but it was a classic like Roberta Flack First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. You yeah. Remember that song it was yeah. a beautiful song. Well, I'm just, you know, enjoying lunch, and Alvin has me look things up. He has a flip phone. Oh, okay. Let me just tell you, he does not need a smartphone. <laughs> Alvin would get in so much trouble oh, sure. with a smartphone. Yeah. So he's got a flip phone, but I will look up things for him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad because he'll, he'll come up with a name, and... Usually we it ends up with an obituary. Hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. But you know he talks about girlfriends he had when he was in the army, and hmm. he's telling me that she used to be a go-go dancer, and <laughs> and I'm thinking she's eighty now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. You know, but he's in his heart. He's he's can get right back with him, and uh, right. he hopes that uh, that. He gets a couple of girlfriends out of this. Well, oh, I mean, that. but he is never obsessed. Know. He gets the through the air digital channels. Now you have to have a box, but your mm-hmm. old set can work still. Yes. But it's a, I don't know how it is where you live, but it's kind of like old reruns of old series yeah. usually. Yep. And the occasional new series, which he's obsessed with called Cheaters. 
Uh, and he's really worried that if he gets more than one girlfriend, he's going to be on cheaters. <laughs> and I'm thinking when cheaters comes and does the Alvin Ridley X day, that's when that's going to be, that's, that's going to be uh, destination appointment television right yeah, there. For sure. That's so cute. Well, listen, McCracken, I can't think of any better way to end it than that. That that kind of tops it all right there. Well, thank you. And please, uh, please, again, uh, I hope your readers will enjoy the book. I hope they will learn something about their own selves with it, because uh, sometimes the unanswered prayers are the best prayers. 100%. Absolutely. Thank well, again, you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank Honors you so on much. our end. And, uh, well, you know, guys... If you're listening or watching this, please go out and buy this book. Fantastic read. Um, but the one with the kissing couple on the Yeah, the one with the yeah. kissing couple, not the other one. But fantastic read. And thank you again, McCracken, for, for joining us. All right. I'll take care. You too. That was great having him on, wasn't it? It was, yeah, to be able to talk to the man himself. Yeah, he's a, he's very funny. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess you guys probably noticed that just in the interview, but uh, what a great guy to talk to. Yeah, he's a very kind man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, and it's just interesting, and I and I mentioned that in the interview that it just seems like it's interesting how they found each other at the same time when they needed each other. Yeah, well, life sometimes works like that. Sure does, especially with the paranormal involved. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Things kind of just kind of fall together in yeah. a way. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, guys, it really just depends on when you read the book how mm -hmm. you formulate your own opinion. Um. You know, we know a lot more about Alvin and some of his challenges that he has more than we did, obviously, during the trial and things like mm -hmm. that. So, um, you know, we, we never tell anybody how to feel about any particular thing, but no. it, it's a great telling of two people that needed each other. It's much more than just 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 a. I don't know, like a law story, like right? A, you know, let's go into the courtroom and defend someone. It's it's very much so a human story. It is a very much so a human story. Mm -hmm. You're right. And a kind person standing up for another kind person. Right. And that's not always an easy thing to do. No, it Just is Just kind of like he, he explained. I mean, you feel sometimes when, you know, you try to do something right, you feel bad about something because things can be frustrating yeah. in certain times in life. and <laughs> But that doesn't mean that you're a bad person for feeling that or thinking that at the time. I right. Mean, we're only all human until we're not. Until we're not. Until yeah. we're paranormal and ghosts. <laughs> if we go that way. If we go that way. <laughs> you never know. But, I mean, it's a great, if anything, it's just a great story. Um, so, you know what it kind of reminded me of? A what? little bit. I love these type of true crime stories. Okay. Ever since I was a kid, and me and my friend, there was one summer that we watched A Time to Kill <laughs> with Matthew McConaughey in it. I can't explain. Like, the entire summer. <laughs> like, <laughs> over and over and over. No, it didn't help. I mean, it did help that it was Matthew McConaughey. Because we right, both had, right. had some crushes on him during that. Oh, I bet. But that story, like, really kind of awakened me to adulthood and the way things can happen. And honestly... Even though the story is not similar at all, it kind of is a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. To me, like, 
the lawyer trying to re- represent someone that's not working with him and yeah. they're kind of button heads. And then how McCracken mentioned like one of his expert witnesses didn't work out. Same yeah. thing happened in the time to kill. Sure did. You remember mm-hmm. when he thought he had like had it in the bag and it like completely fell apart. It yeah. reminded me a lot of that actually. actually and it's in a southern courtroom. Yeah. Like Georgia. And yeah. then a time to kill was in what, like Alabama. I think, yeah. Something I think so. like that. Yeah. Um so it, it did a little bit as I was reading it remind me of that. That makes sense, yeah. So hopefully, I mean Time to Kill was a book. Yeah. So maybe Zenith Man will do just as well. And maybe we'll see a movie on it. We might. That would be really cool, cool actually. But um no, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. Um you should go out and read it. Go read it. It's out now. It's out because now. it it went on sale on February twentieth, so this is a few days after, so go and go and get it and read it. And yeah. Let us know what you think. Yeah, let McCracken us... know what you think. Yes, let Alvin know what you think. Yes, because I am sure he would love it to yeah. know that, that people are reading his story. Yeah. Well, on that, hey guys, thanks for thanks for checking us out and like subscribe. Uh, make sure you hit the uh, like button because that does help. But surprisingly enough, it, that does help us quite mm-hmm. a bit. But mm-hmm. uh, at any rate, thank you again, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Check out our YouTube at Generation X Paranormal. Also, check out our Facebook, Generation X Paranormal Podcast. Love to have you. See you then.